Today on The Real Estate Show, I have Erica Henson with me, and we are talking about different types of deeds, deeds of trust, which are the security instrument, and why a quick claim deed might not be exactly what you think it is. If you are an agent or a real estate professional looking for tips and tricks about real estate, then this episode is for you. So Erica, today we are going to get into the different types of deeds and deeds of trust. Um, Let's just dive right in. So off the top of my head, I'm thinking we've got general warranty deed, special warranty deed, quick claim deed. That's it, right? That's it. Those are the three main ones. There's others in North Carolina, but those are the three main ones we see every day in and out. Well, everybody's always um, writing in or, you know, calling our office asking about ladybird deeds. They are. Yeah, that's not... That's not really what you think it is. (laughs) Caution. Yeah. Um, Well, do you want to start off telling us a little bit about the general warranty deed, since that's the most common in residential transactions? Sure. So a general warranty deed, as you stated earlier, is, quote unquote, the gold standard, right? Mm -hmm. So that is what your residential buyers are looking for and what is in the standard offer to purchase for residential property. And this is where the seller agrees to warrant um, everything in the chain of title as far back as as we can search. Mm-hmm. Um, so the buyer would walk away with that warranty that the property that they are getting is free and clear, and the seller will warrant that. Seller mm-hmm. will defend that and indemnify the buyer if they find anything later on in the chain of title. Yeah, if you're if you're just using the North Carolina standard offer to purchase, like you said, that's what's going to be specified there. Um, we'll see in commercial transactions or if negotiated. Uh, the use of a special warranty deed, which has some warranties, it can be confusing because a general warranty deed, people are like, oh, that sounds basic. I want the special one. <laughs> Not realizing that, that it's actually less warranties than the general warranty deed. So when you hear special warranty, think limited warranty rather than enhanced or better. Um, so it, it's the seller essentially taking on the types of warranties of the general warranty deed, but limiting the scope saying, I'll defend you against anything that happened in my tenure, my time of ownership, but what happened before me, I'm not, no guarantees. Yeah. No promises there. Uh, So we'll see that in commercial quite often just because parties want to limit their risk. And those are much more negotiated contracts and certainly a, a buyer and seller and a residential Um, contract could also negotiate for that, but it's not standard. Um, And, you know, kind of North Carolina recognizes the general warranty deed as the gold standard to get the kind of like the closest to pristine title as you can get, which as we know, doesn't exist anymore. Um, But, you know, if the parties really felt strongly, they wanted to amend it. Otherwise you could amend the contract to reflect that. And that brings us to our last kind of deed that we're going to dive into which is the quick claim deed, or some people call it the quick claim deed, which is not a thing. Not a thing. It's the quick claim. <laughs> Tell us about that. Yep. So the quick claim deed is where the seller says, I, I'll i give you whatever interest that I do have in this property, but I'm not going to warrant anything. Mm-hmm. I make no representations um, about the property. I will not defend you. I will not indemnify you, but mm-hmm. I'll give you what I do have. Yep. So it's basically, you know, giving up any interest but making no warranties. Yeah. Um, I like to call it the get what you get and don't pitch a fit deed. Um, <laughs> and, and it's also the seller saying, I'll give you whatever I've got, even if that's nothing. 
So if they have nothing to give, you're not getting anything by that deed. Um, so a quick claim, you know, it's a proceed with caution. It's not necessarily a non-starter, but you'd have to do a careful title search to make sure that the seller actually had an interest in the property and to see what risks may be lurking behind um, that I'm not going to have any warranties for. And the, you know, the quick claim deed can be used in a lot of contexts. Sometimes family members will do that between each other. Um, spouses. Or, yeah, spouses. Um, if you're doing it between spouses, you got to make sure you have your special language or else it's, uh, you know, you, you may not have accomplished your goal. Um, but people also will think quick claim deed because they hear it and it's a unique name. They think that is what they're supposed to be getting. Um, and we try to dig into if somebody calls our office asking for a quick claim deed, you know, we as attorneys are trying to figure out what are you trying to accomplish here? Because nine times out of 10, that's probably not really what they wanted. Sure. Uh, they wanted some other type of deed, but they just heard a buzzword and they're like, that's what I need to ask the attorney for. I think it's kind of funny when people are like, they feel very confident in what they they say they want. And we're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Especially when they're like adamant that they can only accept a quick claim deed because they think that means it happens fast. <laughs> Yeah. Or they, they want the most plain and simple option out there, I think, sometimes is what they're trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. They want it fast. They want it plain. They want it simple. They don't want any bells and whistles, yeah. but they don't really understand what's behind the quick claim. And maybe what they're getting is no real interest at all. Mm -hmm. So I agree yeah. with you. They think they're getting something quick and easy and simple, but it's not always as, as simple yeah. as it seems. And um, they also may think that it, the other types of deeds are longer or take longer to draft Deeds are two pages, three pages tops, you know, unless you've got a crazy long legal description. The the drafting of the instrument is really not the thing that's the difficult part. It's figuring out the things that lurk behind. Um, now, I wanted to talk a little bit about how the deeds can be used in combination with each other. Um, we see this often in commercial contexts, but also in residential um You'll never hear an attorney tell a buyer not to get a survey. I mean, we, we recommend those in every transaction where a survey applies. And a buyer may get a survey and it reveals like, okay, well, the legal description is from 1904. <laughs> you know, we've got better technology now. So we draft a new legal description based off of the new survey. And the seller may say, listen, I will give you a general warranty deed for the legal description I received um, because I had my warranties from this my seller. Um, so I feel comfortable giving general warranties as to what I know I got. Uh, but I will quit claim to you by a separate non-warranty deed, um, the, the legal description from the new survey. That way I'm giving to you whatever interest I have acquired in those areas where they may differ. Um, because there could be a chance that, you know, when you're doing a legal description where it says go 50 paces to the oak tree and then goes, you know, north, blah, 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 it's going to be a little bit different than what a current survey would reveal. So that way the seller is like, whatever I've got, I'm giving to you. I'm not trying to retain any small pieces where they may overlap or differ, but I just, I didn't acquire it that way. So I'm not comfortable warranting it. Um, and I think that makes sense. We, sure. You know, we see that. And then you brought up another situation that we saw recently with the lake lot. Will you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So the seller owned, um, a lot both above the 760 contour line and then uh, the seller also owned some property, a small parcel under 
um, under the waterline. So in this case, the seller was willing to give a general warranty deed for that parcel that was above the water. However, they were not comfortable giving the general warranty for the underwater parcel. Instead, the seller preferred to, to give a special warranty deed for the parcel underneath. And, and the reasoning probably is that the title couldn't be traced back. Um, mm -hmm. So the seller wasn't comfortable making the full warranties to defend and, and warrant that underwater parcel when we couldn't trace back the title as far as, as the seller would like for us to be able mm -hmm. to. So good compromise there that the buyer was able to get both parcels, but a little bit different um, scenario with the deeds mm -hmm. in that one. Yeah. Um, now let's talk also about deeds of trust because people get confused about this a lot. And <laughs> Ben Thomas used to always ask, like anytime somebody would start working, he would be like, all right, what's the difference in a deed and a deed of trust? Do you know the answer to that? And that was kind of like, you get about a week working here before you get quizzed on <laughs> what's the difference in a deed and deed of trust, uh, because it can be confusing because it uses some of the same terminology mm -hmm. and people will think that the deed of trust is their ownership instrument and it's not. So will you tell us a little bit about, um, generally speaking, what is a deed of trust? What's its purpose? Yeah, sure. So I think after almost two years now, I know, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so here's your quiz. <laughs> here's my pop quiz. So a deed of trust is what we use in North Carolina when um, <clears throat> the grantor or the borrower, so someone who borrows money to buy a piece of property, they grant a lien upon the property to their lender, the mm -hmm. beneficiary. And what it says is, if I pay and if I abide by all the covenants in this deed of trust, then I stay in the property. But if I don't, then the trustee, who's also a party, can foreclose mm -hmm. and take the property on behalf of the beneficiary. Mm -hmm. So it's essentially where the borrower, um, the property owner, grants a lien upon the property for the money that they've mm -hmm. that they owe. Yeah, and a lender is not going to let you borrow money without you signing it. No, so it's not optional. <laughs> it's how they secure their payment. That's yeah. another way I, I say it at the closing yes. table. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I say it a lot like that too. Like your promissory note is your promise to pay the money back. And then the deed of trust is your security for that promise. Because if you're not paying the money back, it gives the lender the right to take the house in, mm -hmm. you know, basically in lieu of repayment. And, you know, that it's a long document. Um, you know, even the shorter ones are like 12 pages. The longer ones are like 17 to 20. Um, and it gets all into the rights of the trustee to, um, start the foreclosure process. Um, you know, you, if you've got rights of redemption where Carolina does, we won't go into that cause that's not really our topic for today. Um, the things that some limits on what you can do with the property. And if you think about it, it makes sense. I, I joke that the lender says you can't have a meth lab, um, because they don't want any inherently dangerous activities that would blow up the thing that they're taking their security interest in. Um, you know, if you look at a piece of land versus a piece of land with a house on it, the value goes up. So if you destroy the house, then the, what they have a security interest in, the value is decreased significantly. Um, and, you know, people tend to like, okay, I get it. That makes sense. I knew about foreclosure, just didn't know it took this many words to say that. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and I kind of, I like to break down the deed of trust kind of because people will ask at the closing table, what, it, what is this? What mm -hmm. am I signing? You know? And so I kind of think about it in three parts. Okay. Um, the first part, it defines the parties. And there are three parties, too. There's mm -hmm. the grantor, the borrower, 
the beneficiary, who's the lender, and the trustee. So it defines the parties. It defines the debt obligation and whether it's a primary residence or an investment property, what have you. Mm-hmm. And then it has the covenants and the promises, covenants, where both parties agree to certain things. And that's where what you were just talking about is kind of buried in mm-hmm. all of that language. What do you promise to do? Well, you promise that you're going to keep insurance on the property. The borrower is going to abide by all you know applicable laws and regulations. Mm-hmm. They are going to agree to make their monthly payment. Well, if you don't do those things, though, then the lender or the trustee can start the foreclosure process. They can take mm-hmm. their security interest from you. Yeah. So I, that's kind of how I like to think about it and break it down into layman's terms so it's mm-hmm. not so overwhelming. Because like you said, some of them can be five pages, some are 18. And for someone, especially a first-time homebuyer who sees 18 pages and you're not explaining everything to them, they're, they're yeah. looking at me like a deer in headlights, like, yeah. what am I signing? So that's kind of how I approach it with the buyers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like how you broke that down, um, especially like for people that are not accustomed to lengthy legal documents. They they might not realize it's four pages of definitions, you know, and yeah. so that makes it a little less scary when they realize, oh, not every single thing in here is like the we're going to sue you till the cows come home. You know, some yeah. of it's just saying grantor means this and you are the grantor. Yes. So it's a little less stressful. So that's, I love that you do it that way. I might have to adopt that. Um, I've, I've just been telling like the same stupid legal jokes for the last seven years. And it's like, (laughs) I got to come up with something new. The agents come in and they, you know, see us flip into the deed of trust and they're like, here we go. (laughs) Here we go. I know what she's about to say. Um, yeah. I mean the deed of trust, it, it's similar to people that move here from other states would know this as a mortgage. Mm-hmm. Um, and for most purposes, it's the same. Um, the deed of trust adds a little bit of a layer because it adds the trustee as a party. And um, before we started recording, I was like, I'm not going to go into all of the legal mumbo jumbo about the differences. So I promise to keep that. Uh, I promise I will not do that. But there are some slight differences that have to do with like title theory in our state. And it's it's really not important so long as you as a borrower know that it means if you're not keeping your promise, then the lender can use that instrument to foreclose so that they're recouping their investment in some way, shape or form. So basically, if if you keep your promises, you get left alone. You get the privilege of continuing to repay. You get to stay. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and one interesting thing for people who are buying multiple parcels or if you buy a home on a parcel and you buy the lot next door, right? But then, and you mortgage the property or there's a deed of trust against it, and you decide that you want to sell that vacant lot next door, you have to do what's called a release. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times we see a request for deed or things like that, and the seller doesn't understand that the property has to be released from the deed of trust. And I bring this up because it can hold up a closing. Mm-hmm. It can it can land a seller in some hot water. So mm-hmm. if you're looking to sell and you have a deed of trust on more than one parcel or you want to to parcel off a small portion of a, a larger tract, you need to check with your lender first because mm-hmm. they have a lien on that um, through the deed of trust that you executed when you borrowed when you borrowed mm-hmm. against that property. Yeah, and if you don't pay it off or get that partial release, either by paying them some money or if you're lucky, they don't require it or they let you substitute something um, in the place of what you're giving away uh, and you try to deed away that to the buyer, well, the buyer's taking a property that's got a deed of trust on it and could get foreclosed against for a debt obligation that they never agreed to pay. They didn't agree to. Yep. Yeah, that, that's a good point. Um, we see that, unfortunately, um, a decent amount. So it's deeds of trust. 
They'll get you. <laughs> they serve a purpose. We need yeah. them, but yes. they'll get you if if you don't comply with with mm-hmm. your uh, promises in there. I think agents, if you're listening to this and you've got buyers that like you've tried to explain this till the cows come home and they're just not getting it, uh, feel free to share this with them. <laughs> Maybe we'll say it just slightly different than they're used to hearing. Um, you know, everybody learns and responds differently, but hopefully you picked up something from this that you didn't know. I feel like the the information about the partial release and um, the quit claim deed information is stuff that people forget about a lot. So, and you know, with the deed of trust, it can be a daunting document, right? We've mm-hmm. already talked about that. It can be 18 pages or more. Um, but if you think about it from the lender's perspective, they are lending you a lot of money and mm-hmm. they want a lot of protection. They want everything mm-hmm. in writing. So maybe that's another way to explain it to mm-hmm. your buyer. You know, while it might seem daunting, the lender needs protection. So you mm-hmm. have to agree to to abide by their rules um, yeah. through the deed of trust. That's yeah. another way to look at it. Yeah, um, I agree with all of that. Um, thank you for joining us again today, Erica. Absolutely. Um, I think that was a great explainer on the types of deeds and deeds of trust. And I look forward to doing it again. All right. Thank you.